Welcome back, everyone, to Tales Never Fails podcast. I am your host. I am your producer at C Brands Five, Super Producer Bean. I'm back from Florida. Joining me over the airways is the one and only Parker Hurley. Parker, how you been? How you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, we we did just have our first losing week, but uh, those are gonna happen. That's you know, it's called gambling for a reason. And we're just gonna chalk that up to you went to Florida, and I just couldn't concentrate because I was what? thinking about the beach all week. I'll take the heat on this one. That's my fault. <laughs> I took a vacation. Shouldn't thought it mid season. It's on me. It's okay. On, it was a losing seat, losing week. I mean, wasn't that bad? It's fine. Yeah, we'll move on. Like I, I always say, it's always <laughs> about what you do next. So even when we win, even when we lose, yeah. it's about what you do next. Just keep on keeping on. But to recap, you did go four and six minus one point seven three units. That's not bad. I've had way worse rules. Than <laughs> I've that. had way worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we are going to recap the week four it was, uh, as we usually do this on Tuesdays. And uh, you want to start with that Thursday game a little bit, Parks? Yeah. Yeah, we can talk and do it, especially because it's you know the two uh, or it was two perennial teams. I mean, a lot of people may be fading the Vikings a little bit now that one, two, and one. I mean, I think they're two powerhouses for sure. Yeah, so I, I kind of saw it as the same thing, and I mean, we, I talked about it. I think we previewed it on the last podcast that you know I wanted to take the Vikings so bad, and it was seven, you know, and if you could get seven and a half, you probably could have got home with that. But uh, yeah, there were just questions with the Vikings heading into the game. You know, the Everson Griffin stuff. Um, it's kind of being downplayed, which is kind of weird. But like, he's going through some things. That's gonna, you know, I feel like that's a bigger uh, concern than the Le'Veon Bell thing because they're like more worried about his well-being and you know you're wondering if it's cte affected and like things like that you know that's a little more important yeah that's a little more important than like as far as like the where the locker room stands especially you know the short week traveling and uh yeah xavier Rhodes, you know was a big thing they put him on brandon cooks which i was interested i thought that was interesting i know that you know cooks is their best receiver Rhodes is their best cornerback it makes sense but stylistically that's not really a win for Rhodes. and then you add in the short week and he started cramping up and um Sean McVay is just, you know, um, I don't. We don't give him enough credit on the podcast. I really don't, or you know, probably because I, I kind of don't say what's given. You know, that's kind of just how I operate. I'm kind of looking for the things that aren't on the mainstream media, like the given stuff. But I mean, Sean McVay is incredible, and you know, he noticed the Rhodes thing, and he, he attacked right off of it. And he knows that um, I talk about it all the time how the Vikings kind of stay in a very similar set because they can mix and match linebackers and safeties. But he was able to motion players out and get Bar on a. Uh, Cooper Cup and Barr on Gurley, and he did, you know, some really cool things with both of them and got Barr just exposed. That's really just how the team won it. And, I mean, then you look at um, the Vikings. It's kind of the same old thing with Kirk Cousins. It really is. It's just like one one second he's just like leading you back, just has tremendous quarterback play. And then the next game-sealing interception or taking the game-sealing sack. Um, his pocket presence is an issue, and I kind of talked about uh, first Shanahan got him and now McVay got him, two guys who really understand him as a quarterback they both were in the room that drafted him so um we'll see if this translates over because the vikings offensive line is awful and it's tough to say you know pat offline's getting back so i mean or he was back but you know he's getting into the swing of things um and they have brian o'neill from Pitt. they're trying to you know hopefully they can move him in and then they could move remmers back to his normal position but there's still a lot of shuffling on the other line and that's what's really hurting them at this point because of, you know, Cousins doesn't have the greatest pocket presence either. So that's really what you got from that game. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, one of the games you could tell the NFL definitely tried to, like, throw out there for, like, an exciting Thursday nighter. And it lived up to it because it was something oh, yeah. else. I mean, Jared got yeah, five times All weekend. Woo. Yeah, the other thing I will say, because uh, I'm not, like, a Jared Goff hater, but yeah. Jared Goff, was, he was very impressive in that game. You know, he, he was. was dropping dives and, you know, 
That one thing I will say is, you know, I've always said why he went number one is he's a very natural passer, very accurate passer. Um, when you get him in this system, and when you get him space, and when you get him open receivers, you give him those you know, weapons, Jesus. Christ. Right, and even you know he, he can get it into tight windows with, like you said, the weapons. But um, yeah, my thing with him has always been when you get him off kilt and when you get him under pressure, and you know that's how they lost early into the uh, playoffs last year. Yeah. It'll just be interesting, you know, who could do that is really you know what you're thinking. Especially Cooks is you know a really added dynamic with the speed of this group. Yeah, definitely a fun little group, and uh, the Rams come up top, still undefeated. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the Sunday games here, and we'll go. We'll start with the Bengals and the Falcons here. You, I believe, did you have anything on this one? You had the uh, Bengals and a tease, right, and the over. Yeah, we teased both of them. <laughs> I kind of I went through at halftime pretty much. Yeah, that that just uh, it lived up to its hype here in the points as the Bengals clawed out one thirty seven thirty six. Uh, the Bengals are now first in the AFC North and a big win here on the road. Um, you had the Bengals in the tees and the over, and uh, it, I mean, they both hit. That was nice calls there. Yeah, I mean, it was like, uh, I think we teased that over down to like 42, and it was 21-21 in like the second quarter. So you're kind of feeling pretty <laughs> good about that one. That's just how this game was. You know, the defenses ended up coming alive a little bit in the second half. But yeah, it was just a back and forth nature of the game. And that's what you're going to get, you know, and that's what we kind of talked about in the preview podcast with neither of these teams can defend running backs. They both have quick little running backs who can get out in space. Um, I ended up putting Gio Bernard and Tevin Coleman in a DFS lineup and did pretty well with, with the duo. And I know Tevin didn't even do too well because Edo Smith was eaten into yeah. his usage a little bit. Yeah, so that was interesting. But um, yeah, Edo Smith, I mean, I mean, it'll be interesting because Freeman uh, he at least should be back pretty soon. Um, and they head to Pittsburgh this week, which will be a really interesting game. Over under fifty-seven. Um, what was that? The over under fifty-seven on that game. Oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I know. And yeah, that's probably going to go over as crazy Jeez, as it sounds. And I mean, but it's going to be interesting because the Falcons have played three dome games um, or three home games, all in a dome. Um, or they've played every single game in a dome this season because it was also New Orleans in, a, in three dome games, I think it was. So um, they're going to be on grass for the first time. And they've been just playing these up and down, back and forth, last second shootout games for a while now. So it'll be interesting to see how it kind of catches up to this team, Atlanta, especially because their defense is just reeling. And um, they, they were trying to mix things up. I said that I didn't like the idea of moving Brian Poole from the slot to safety. And that's what they did. And then I, I forgot that they have Isaiah Oliver. They just drafted him. But the interesting thing with Oliver is he's really just an outside cornerback, you know, stylistically or physically. So they moved uh, Desmond Trufant into the slot a lot. And I think it might have had to do with, you know, A.J. Green plays the slot a little bit. But uh, they were really putting Trufant on Tyler Boyd a little bit. But the fact of the matter is Trufant wasn't in his natural position. And then you're taking pull away from his natural position. So, like, in all of this, you're really making three positions worse instead of just one position is worse from this one safety loss. You know what I mean? So it's like they were mixing things up a lot. And the other thing with Isaiah Oliver is uh, – and we're going to talk about this in the preview podcast because I compared him to Artie Burns pre-draft. And it's he got beat on the same things that Artie Burns gets beat on every <laughs> single time. It's the play action stuff. It's the stuff in the backfield. It's everything. It's the double moves. Yeah, he was just getting completely burned on it. And yeah, they were, they were just scratching and looking for answers in the slot – on the outside because Trufant was just, you know, his head was spinning because they're moving him around. Um, Brian Poole was out of position because he got burnt early at the safety position. Um, questionable at linebacker with Duke Riley. So, I mean, their defense is just so beat up at this point. And um, they probably got lucky that, you know, Tyler Eifert ended up going down with an injury. Oh, did you see his fucking Oh, uh, yeah, that was just awful. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how are the Bengals going to respond to this. Um, a lot of people are going to think it's probably Tyler Croft. I would probably try and use CJ Uzuma a little bit. And luckily, they're going to get Mixon back. 
So you could probably try and use a little two running backs a little bit. I know uh, Dr. Chow, my dude, said Mixon will be back. So yeah, the fact of the matter is, yeah, he said he said he thinks he'll play this week, and he said he actually thought he was uh, leaning a little bit closer to playing last week, even. So um, yeah, the the news is trending up towards Mixon. Chow, we trust. And shall we trust? I think he'll play this week. It'll be interesting, especially if they can get Billy Price back. You know, the Eifert thing doesn't hurt a lot. But where this offense stands without Eifert, uh, Tyler Boyd did a lot of the heavy lifting. But it was also, like I said, the Falcons are just searching for answers on defense. So, um, yeah, like <laughs> you're just looking at that shootout. It's like, holy crap, with those defenses in Pittsburgh and Atlanta. <laughs> uh, fun fact, uh, Julio Jones is on pace for about 2,000 yards and zero touchdowns. Just, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and Calvin Ridley just, you know, eating up those <laughs> touchdowns. Right. Mike Tomlin actually said it today, you know, kind of compared the Juju and the AB thing to the Julio and the. Uh, Ridley. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it makes a lot of sense that, you know, they're taking a lot of the, uh, what's it called, the coverage over the top, and you're just kind of hitting the easy matchup because you have such a talent in that second spot. And that's another thing. I talked about it with Patrick Mahomes where. When you draft a player and then you put him into a situation, I wasn't a huge Ridley fan pre-draft, but when you put Ridley as a number two receiver next to Julio Jones, it's such a perfect fit that you love Calvin Ridley in that spot. It's all about how you fit in your in your you know skill set. So there's a lot of you know nuance to the NFL. Just wanted to add that in there. Yeah, there's one red zone play where they were like had double coverage on Julio, and they're like fifth string tight end caught a wide open touchdown. I'm like, oh, that's, that must be easy. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I like that guy though. Whatever his name is, I don't know what the hell his name off is. Off the top yeah. of my head, he's not a bad little tight end though. <laughs> All right, let's move on, and uh, we'll go to your one and only Chicago Bears as Mitchell the Mitchell Trubisky. Just what a monster performance. 354 yards and six touchdowns, even at a 53 yards rushing. Parks, what in the world got in the Mitchell this game? I said I thought it was going to be a bit of a confidence booster. I didn't think it was going to be like that. <laughs> this was something else. Yeah, I think it was honestly, um, you know, the Bucks defense is really bad, and that's why you predict the confidence booster for a young quarterback like that. Um, they're on the road. It's Monday night with the short week, and they just – they didn't bring it at all. Um, not at all. They None of them showed up. And, I mean, this was a real game where you could see schematically, you know, what – you know, the NFL is kind of trending to, and, you know, there's some teams that are a little bit behind and there's some teams that are kind of catching on to what's going on. And the Buccaneers are still a little bit behind in, you know, their defensive schemes for what the Bears are doing right now. And they're doing, you know, all that motion. And Taylor Gabriel onto the edges just with so much speed. Tarek Cohen onto the edges with so much speed. Um, yeah, they just were not prepared for any of that at all. And it's set up, um, you know, Mitchell Trubisky just being able to drop bombs over the top. And I've always talked about, you know, the, there's so much, or there's not so much, but there's enough to buy into Trubisky in terms of he can make all those deep, crazy throws, just like, oh my God, throws, and he's extremely athletic. And, you know, if you can put that together and, you know, when, when it's Tampa Bay and it's kind of, there's not a great pass rush and the defense is kind of drawn out, you know, you kind of know before the snap based on what you're motioning, what's, what you're going to see. You can make it happen deep down the field, especially when you have, you know, Allen Robinson on a rookie and, you know, Taylor Gabriel on rookies and just, yeah, a lot of miscommunication in the back end on the Bucks. And, you know, Dirk Cutter said that he thought his team, or he said he deserved to get fired as defensive coordinator, deserved to get fired. <laughs> he said like three things about getting fired this week, which I thought was really weird. Um, he also said something earlier this season about getting fired. He said that um, 
he doesn't like analytics because analytics are about the long term and he doesn't coach for the long term because he thinks he's going to get fired. I see why he was the odds on favorite to get fired. Yeah. <laughs> he brought it up twice this week already. So, um, yeah, interesting, interesting dynamic there in Tampa that, you know, they caught the Saints off guard in week one in Philly. I mean, you know, the Nick Foles era there. And then, yeah, 0 oh 2 since then and kind of. You know, thirty and forty-eight points, so they're getting yeah. rocked. And at least they head into the bye because they're reeling right now. The Fitz um, magic yeah, era is over too. It's yeah, bad. that's another one. I called the Fitz magic era coming to the end. Yeah, so, um, nice little call there. If you could have got money on that somehow, uh, that would have been nice. But yeah, Jameis, here we come. Um, he looked awful against the Bears, but I mean, you know, he, they didn't really prepare him for playing against the Bears. They kind of threw him out cold, and that's you're not going to take anything at all away from that. So. He has the buy. He can kind of regroup himself. Um, you could see, you know, if the team, I don't want to say that they didn't show up for Fitzpatrick on purpose, but, you know, if this thing was like the Fitz magic, you know, the team shows up for him and at least gives, you know, it's not 35 3 at the half and he's throwing picks off his back leg, you know. The O line didn't show up. Other receivers didn't show up. It was just a really bad game overall for the Bucks. So uh, they're going to regroup for this buy. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. But uh, also, uh, I think you had a nice play on the Bears there, uh, minus two and a half. Yeah, we did do that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of – it was – like I said, it was teed up for the Bears to knock another quarterback out of the game. And Fitzpatrick was the perfect quarterback to do it. Solid. Well, good stuff. All right, let's move on here. Uh, from the Bears, we go on to another NFC North team, the Lions, as they lose to the Cowboys here. In Big D, uh, Dak Prescott and the offense finally uh, looked a little alive here, and uh, they pull out a squeaker 26-24. Parks, Ezekiel Elliott looked like a man possessed in this game, and uh, what happened to this offense finally decided to come alive? Yeah, um, as far as the Zeke thing, the Lions are just so bad against the run right now. They're 31st overall, and um, I, wa- I don't know what happened. I mean, I guess it was Sony Michelle's first start, but you kind of wonder what was going on in that game as far as Sony Michelle not being able to really kind of run the football against them Whoa. because it's, it's just easy. And um, there's a great article on The Athletic just showing how in terms of technique, they didn't understand what the Cowboys' um, weakness was, was that you know their starting center is out. And what they were doing technique-wise was spreading their two defensive tackles out so the Cowboys would just double-team them with their guard and their uh, tackle, and they would let their center get out to space and to take on a linebacker, which just, you know, a free pass for a center out into space because your guard and your tackle are so talented on both sides for Dallas. So it just got so easy for what they were doing, and they were, you know, putting in 12 personnel, and it was just, yeah, it was working. And I mean, this was a situation where, like I said, you know, some defenses aren't ready. Um, the Detroit's defense isn't ready for what's about to happen in modern football, and they're going to get exposed by a lot of teams. But Dallas's offense, I still don't think they're ready for it, and I really think that they kind of got lucky that they ran into the right defense at the right time in this situation. So um, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I mean, the other thing was um, – the Athletic did a really cool thing how Dak Prescott at home is running play action like 35% and then on the road it's like 10%. And it's, you know, they're really effective on play action because of Ezekiel Elliott and the respect that he demands. They're really ineffective, you know, when it's not play action because they have no threats to throw the football down the field. So it's interesting to see that on the road they're not doing that. And I wonder if it comes back to the communication with the center. So, you know, I think I'm pretty sure they're on the road this weekend. And that's obviously something you kind of have to look for. And then um, you're moving on to the, you know, the Detroit Lions. I mean, they, they should have won this game. There's just no doubt about it. And like I said, um, I think the you know, Cowboys got a little lucky. They ran into the right opponent. And I mean, the Lions, I said on the last podcast, if they don't go back 
And if they don't go to a heavy workload of carry on Johnson, I'm going to lose my mind. Like I am. That's crazy that what they just did. He, he On his very first carry of the game, he runs for like 30 yards. And then he gets eight carries the rest of the game. And Garrett Blunt gets seven. Like, what are you doing? That's that's really, in my opinion, what cost you the game because, you know, your defense, can, for what you had to do against Ezekiel Elliott and, you know, like I said, with the mismatch that they are, they did enough to where you're Matthew Stafford, you have all these weapons, Golden Tate, you know, just had a huge game for them. Um, you have to be able to, like I said, highlight your receivers with your running game and with your tight ends. And um, they need to get on Johnson and Theo Riddick on the field at the same time. And until they do that, they're going to be stuck behind in the old days, you know, doing the, you know, they're just going to be stuck behind this year. And it's going to be interesting to see because um, I know the media in Detroit is really starting to pile on, you know, like Garrett Blunt had like seven rushes for 12 yards. It's just super obvious when he's on the field, what's going to happen. You know, you can't throw to him. They're stacking the box against him. And, you know, you're kind of just running into a brick wall with him and he's not effective enough, you know, on third and one. Sure. On the goal line, sure. If he gets three carries for five yards and a touchdown, that's whatever. He can't be a part of your offense. And, you know, you need to go to carry on Johnson passing the football on early downs to set up your receivers. So um, I'm just so ticked off at what they did in terms of being able to move the football on Dallas. So, I, yeah, I'm still not buying Dallas, but I really uh, my takeaway is that uh, the Lions are a fraud in my opinion. And I'm pretty sure uh, Patricia said that he thought he was like comfortable with uh, Carry On's like workload too. Like he's like, yeah, he's fine. What he's getting, how many touches he's getting. It's crazy. It's just crazy. <laughs> it just doesn't like, make any sense. They're just like, well, if you take away the one run, it's eight carries for 25 yards. It's like, well, Legarrette Blunt just had seven for 12, and he can't catch the football. That's the other thing, though, is that you're not throwing the. F- you have Stafford, who like you got to boost his completion rate and set up passes down the football field by completing these quick passes to a receiver who can, or you know, a running back who can catch the ball. And if you put Riddick next to Johnson, you have the threat of you can run these motion plays that I just said the Bears were having success on. And you can run you know, a fake jet sweep to Riddick and you're handing it off to Johnson. And then the defense is running left and you're running up the middle. You, know, like, you can figure things out, like, but you can't do it running the eye with LeGarrette Blunt into a brick wall. So we're, we're going to see. And uh, I believe you had the Lions – uh, what plus three or something like that? Yeah, we did. We did come home on that. So uh, thanks a lot, Patricia. Nice, nice. All right, <laughs> let's move on here to a nice little shutout game. And this is kind of a game you were expecting last week between the Vikings and the Bills, but the Packers play the Bills this week and twenty-two nothing. Um, the, I feel like the headline really isn't the game because everyone really could have seen this coming. But uh, afterwards, between uh, Rogers and uh, head coach there. Uh, they got a little, you know, whatever you want to call it. But do you see anything going on there? Yeah, Rogers is, you know, he's being Ben Roethlisberger for the week or something. <laughs> you know? um, I, I don't, I, I don't think so. I think it's fine. Um, I think honestly, if Rogers is probably going to look back on the tape and say, you know, I probably could have played a little better myself. So um, I think another thing, you know, he said this week, he said. Um, you know, let's get Aaron, jo- Aaron Jones involved a little more. I think Aaron Jones is an explosive player, and, you know, he ended up – I'm pretty sure he led the team in carries, or if not, it was really close. And um, he definitely had the most yards, and he had a little touchdown run, and they got him out in space on one pass. So um, I'm kind of expecting some more Aaron Jones. I'm expecting the offense to kind of pick it pick it up a little bit. So um, I'm not too concerned about the Packers. I know, you know, Roger said he wished, you know, they had a little more and the spat or whatever. But, um, you know, they're working through things. That's kind of – 
what I said these teams are going to do through the first four weeks of the season, you know, the Packers, the Saints, you know, all these teams, you know, the Saints ended up better than I even thought they would be, especially after you blow under the Bucks like that. But um, yeah, that was my big takeaway was really Aaron Jones in this game. And, um, you know, for the, for the Bills, um, I, I will say Terrell Edmonds played, played really well, I thought. And uh, you know, that had a little bit to do with it. He got a nice pressure on Rodgers and he had a nice breakup on Jimmy Graham. And I said on the season preview podcast, I said that, you know, he was your Joel Embiid. It's just it's Josh Allen you're Oka for if you're the trust in the process here. And, I mean, Josh Allen is just like, I don't know what, you, I don't know what you're going to, you know, they schemed up those like two quick screens and, um, you know, they got right up on the Vikings. It was miscommunication. It's pretty obvious now that they were looking ahead and I should have bet against, I bet on them looking ahead, you know, and I said first half, I should have bet against it. But um, that's what, you know, two quick screens, two miscommunications, um, the safety falls over for the Vikings. And, you know, all of a sudden Josh Allen isn't this bad quarterback. Um, yeah, he's still the same old quarterback. I mean, he he cost his team points in the red zone, you know, right before the half, just throwing off his back foot like thirty yards behind the line of scrimmage, yeah. you know, into double coverage. Uh, but he's like he's missing open receivers. Um, it's going to be so hard to figure out how they move the football unless you get teams kind of looking ahead or teams you know kind of playing sloppy. They're just going to have to slop it up. So, um, yeah, that's really what you're getting from the Bills, and you could understand why Rogers kind of ticked. Uh, they're also shuffling at cornerback really bad at cornerback you know they have what's his name Tredavious White on one side and then in the slot on the, on the outside they're just shuffling and that's kind of where Rodgers was saying you know we need to get some more matchups like that but uh yeah it didn't happen for him I'm not worried about it but uh the Bills I mean yeah it's, it's gonna take a while for them to get going yeah well, it didn't look pretty as from what I saw Reds didn't show too much because I mean their offense wasn't doing anything out there yeah it was crazy Josh Allen I mean he just it, like I said, the inaccuracy is one thing, and everyone says you can build around inaccuracy, this and that. Okay, sure, buy into that. He can't handle pressure, and that's a huge issue, especially when you have a bad offensive line. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see what he can do, but he can't handle pressure right now. All right, well, let's move on to a nice little uh, fun game here. You had the under in this one. It went over for, uh, you know, a little overtime. Or not overtime. Yeah, we did get overtime. Yeah. overtime. yeah, for a little overtime action. Um, this was the Titans and the Eagles here. 26-23, Marcus Mariota, the Corey Davis, a little semi-Music City miracle. I mean, this was some uh, epic hero park. So, you know, the under didn't hit, obviously, but, you know, some circumstances caused that to happen. Yeah, this is one where kind of I say, you know, if you listen to the podcast and you listen to the tweets, you know, between the two, you could probably do pretty good, you know, not even just, you know, tailing me, but also listening to the podcast, you could pick some things up. And I was saying, I was, you know, I was liking the Titans and I probably should have, you know, ended up getting down on the Titans instead of getting down on stupid Eli this week. <laughs> so, um, but I, yeah, I really like the Titans. I think they're a really well-coached team. And I've, you know, I've looked into a variable a lot because at the very, you know, outside, I kind of like the idea. And then, you know, you start to really look into it and you start to look at the head coaches and LaFleur, you know, the offensive coordinator, just smart and DMPs. And he just, he knows what to do. And he knew, you know, the last couple games, he just got, you know, grimiest of the grimy, sloppiest of the sloppy, you know, run, 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 you know, run, run, punt, whatever. And just, you know, one with a special teams play, you know, one nine to six in the next game. And then he comes out this game and, you know, everyone's wondering about Mariota and they just start chucking the ball deep. And it's just like, oh crap. And uh, yeah, you can tell that the Philly cornerbacks, you know, from the very start, they were shook a little bit when Mariota started testing him deep and he started, you know, completing some passes deep. I know they didn't look too, too great. And it has to, you know, the Philly corners aren't too, too great right now either. And that has to do with it. But, you know, that it opened things up a little bit for what, you know, the uh, 
the Titans were able to do in this game. And, you know, from there they got a lead. They started controlling the, the clock. One stupid play ended up, you know, right before the half. And this is what I think killed the under, in my opinion. Mariota, you know, you can kind of, they're inside like the 25 yard line and you have the lead and you can kind of just run, or I think it was seven to three actually. And you could, maybe I forget it. Either way, you could run the football and get to the half, you know, because, you know, they're not pushing the ball down the field, but he ends up pushing the ball down the field, throws a stupid interception. And uh, the Eagles end up capitalizing right off of that to kind of, I think that was what made it 10 to three. So, um, you know, that ends up hurting the under, but it was interesting to see because Mariota was pushing the football down the field and they were taking advantage. And maybe that could open some things up for the running game, you know, moving forward. But then on the other side, this defense is legitimate. It really is. Um, and Harold Landry, you know, second round pick, I have no idea why at this point, because he's just, he's, he's one of the best pass rushers, you know, he's the best rookie pass rusher right now. And, you know, pass rushers are just so important. So it's just crazy to think that, you know, or Bradley Chubb's also doing pretty well this season, but uh, Harold Landry's just been crazy and just leading this defense and the defense, I mean, Malcolm Butler continues to get beat every single week, and that's kind of an issue. Um, but they, they were able to push pockets. They were able to get Wentz off of his game. They were able to completely shut down the running game. And um, I thought Wentz played pretty well, honestly. It was just the fact that the defense played so well for the Bucs. They moved the pockets. Wentz ended up, you know, he made plays when he had to, um, kept his team in the game. They honestly, you know, they get destroyed in this game with Nick Foles. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think, you know, and Wentz isn't even healthy at this point. So, um, you know, it's more about, you know, some of the other pieces on the Eagles and, you know, getting their skill players going than it almost is about Wentz. You know, Wentz is going to get better, but um, it's interesting to see where the Eagles are going to go. But, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, the uh, Titans push it all the way down to the end of the game. 14 play drive, you know, to, in the overtime down by three. It goes like eight minutes, just a crazy drive and just a great coaching. And it's, it's Matt LaFleur who did a really good job, who's a Kyle Shanahan descendant and a Sean McVay descendant. So, you know, he's kind of the next up and comer. And he was able to really expose the Philadelphia Eagles uh, cornerbacks in for three straight weeks. He kind of was able to put together the perfect game plan to win a football game. So that's just what the Titans are doing. And I mean, I got him plus 350 to win the AFC South, and they're three and one right now. So not feeling bad about that one. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it was nice to see Corey Davis uh, finally look good, you know, get some uh, catches there. Looked a little slow. Yeah, I mean, he should be fine because you think, you know, they start the season, it's that stupid weather delayed game, and then. That game is when Mariota pinches his nerve. And then, like I said, you know, you're running the ball, you're slopping it up. And this was the very first game where they actually threw the football. And, um, yeah, the first game they throw the football all season is the first game Corey Davis has a decent game all season. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, and, you know, Dr. Chow, going back to him, he kind of said that it's going to, you know, it's going to take time for this nerve thing to go away from Mariota, but it's going to start to. And the fact that he was able to throw the football down the field, you know, you're hoping next week it starts to get a little more accurate. So we'll see. We'll see for sure. All right, well, let's go to from one AFC South team to another in the Texans as they pull it out in Indy there. And what was a fun little game, a little controversy at the end there. And this one went to overtime as the Colts went for and fourth down, turned the ball over, I think in their own end zone. And uh, Andy Luck let a comeback here to get it tied up and get overtime. This is a fun one here. Texans get their first win of the seasons, and uh, both teams are one three i believe uh parks what'd you see here yeah and i mean i kind of think you know everyone's talking about the play for the tie thing and you know vrabel's getting commended because he went forward on i think it was fourth and three and you know he could have kicked a field goal with like a minute left in overtime and tied the game and went for it and ended up winning the game and they're all commended vrabel and i mean i know it's a completely different circumstance you know if you don't get that well actually it's, it's somewhat similar if you don't get that you lose but uh you know they were the colts were backed up into their own ends you know and if they don't get that 
you know, Deshaun Watson throws a slant to DeAndre Hopkins and they lose. But, um, you know, Ross Tucker wrote something on The Athletic. I, I read The Athletic all the time. It's a really good resource. But uh, he just wrote how, you know, a, players don't buy into this ties. You know, they don't buy into this crap. So um, for, you know, Mike Vrabel is a former player. And, uh, you know, he understood that. And you know, like I said, he's a great coach. And I think, you know, players are really, really starting to buy in in Tennessee. So I think, you know, you maybe lose in the short term with if for Frank Reich. But I think you kind of win in the long term where you're saying, you know, you trust your guys and you're going to go out and get it. And, you know, um, you, you know, we weren't saying the Colts were going to win the Super Bowl anyways. And, you know, if you go seven and nine or six and ten instead of seven and nine this season, you know, maybe so be it. But, you know, like I said, you kind of win a little a short term battle or a long term, a longer term battle. So that's kind of how I saw that. And, you know, that's why I'm not too, too, too disappointed. But I mean, obviously, if the Colts win that, you know, you're two and two and you're maybe thinking playoffs. But like I said, even if you are, I don't think they're real contenders this year. And it's because, you know, now T.Y. Hilton is a little banged up. And uh, I know Darius Leonard ended up with a foot injury. So um, that'll be interesting. The good thing for the Texans was Deshaun Watson finally got going. And they were doing, you know, some of this new school stuff that I was talking about, jet sweeps, motions, things like that. They were rolling Watson out. And actually, I said, you know, they haven't designed a run for him yet. And they actually designed some runs for him and they actually were able to get his legs going. And that kind of opened things up. Although I did say, you know, the cornerbacks against the receivers was just a huge mismatch for the Texans. Who was that Kiki guy? I'm about to get to him. Yeah, here we go. Because um, you got to go get him in fantasy. Everybody probably does because... From Texas Tech, I talk about I talked about about him a lot pre-draft. How he's just a perfect fit for today's NFL because you can put him in the backfield, you can do all this jet sweeps and motions and stuff, and that's who was able to do all of it and put it all together. And if you remember, they drafted Braxton Miller a few years ago, and that's exactly what they were looking for. And now they have it with uh, with Kiki from Texas Tech. He really is, you know, he's a big time threat. Um, he went off with Mahomes, and then you know Mahomes was gone. And he didn't have a great year. It was a uh, Shimanek or whatever. Some people thought Shimanek was going to get drafted. I was like, you guys are crazy because <laughs> you could see that how, how bad he affected Kiki Kuti, who can really do it, you know, deep field and with the ball in his hands. So I'm saying you have to get him in fantasy because Will Fuller has the uh, hamstring injuries. The fact of the matter is, oh, if Will Fuller's injured, yeah. he's Will Fuller. Like he can just do all the Will Fuller stuff, and is going to get all the benefits. If not, he's the third piece that makes everything go. So you have to give him targets. And if you look at his route trees, that's kind of what was going on. You could see he's going laterally behind the backfield, you know, when he's complimenting Will Fuller. And then he's going deep when he has to replace Will Fuller. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting in fantasy. And How much it, fab? How much fab? Percentage? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know about fab, so I don't really honestly Damn it. I, I would really start to look into he's, you know, he could be a big-time piece in this offense, especially – like I said, no matter what, but if Fuller goes down, you know, he's kind of the, he is the guy that they have to go to. Go and I, down. Right. And yeah, and I, I liked him, you know, uh, pre-draft, you know, you're kind of just waiting for when to pick your spot and pick him up. I would definitely go pick him up. You know, I probably wouldn't sell the house for him, Damn but um, right. yeah, I'd make a decent little conservative little bet and, you know, kind of make sure he's on my team because yeah, it's, he has to, he's going to be the piece that makes the offense go. There's just no doubt about it. You know, whether, whether Fuller or not, he's going to be the piece that has to make this thing go. So, um, yeah, definitely look into that. And then, you know, both, both secondaries are really bad, especially uh, the Texans just got lit up by Luck, who was able to throw the ball deep, you know, a lot more often. And I kind of said it was week four through six. And this is going to be interesting because he had overtime. He threw some Hail Marys. He threw like 60 passes. And now he has a short week against the Patriots. And I don't know how he's going to do against the Patriots. I think that could be an issue. 
But then you have that long extended week. And from then, I think you're just saying, you know, luck's good to go after the Patriots game. So um, I think that's, I think it's all a good sign for luck and it's all kind of coming together for him to be, like I said, be kind of ready to go after the Patriots game. Um, the other, you know, uh, Naeem Hines was another kind of piece where I would probably, I would say I would take Kuti uh, before Hines, even though running back's more valuable than receiver. Mm-hmm. Still, it's just they're going to continue to mix these running backs around. But Hines is kind of the same thing where he's kind of the straw that stirs the drink and he's going to be the motion player. And they're going to give him those little, you know, luck throws it two yards in the air while he's running a jet sweep and luck gets a touchdown pass because of it. But uh, yeah, that's where they're going to use Hines. They're going to get his speed out in space. And, you know, they got him on a wheel route and luck kind of just threw it up in the air and he went and got hey, it. And I thought that sick was, catch. Yeah, I thought that was super impressive for, you know, considering no his skill set. So, um, He's going to be a piece in this offense. I just don't think it's going to be consistent whatsoever. So um, that's kind of where I'm standing on that. And then you look at uh, the tackles for the Colts. Still haven't seen seen Costanzo. Keep waiting for Costanzo. But you know now other pieces are getting banged up. And the right tackle, the Raven Clark, just got brutalized. Just destroyed by you know JJY and Jadavian Clowney. Clowney, this was probably the best game he ever played. It really was. It was, it was one of the you know I actually it wasn't even it wasn't the best, but uh, Clowney played really well in this game. Kind of, you saw that he was kind of looking for this win in this game. So, um, yeah, overall, you know, wonder. Especially the other thing I wanted to think about was the Colts uh, missing Jack Doyle. It kind of looked like they really kind of need him over that short middle to kind of open some things up. And yeah, I really thought you know Ebron's okay, not consistent. Ryan Grant had a couple drops. Chester Rogers, you know, they tried to get him over the middle. They just don't have a piece over the middle to kind of open things up. And I thought they were missing uh, Jack Doyle a little bit. Yeah, and those uh, those any luck Colts get to play the Patriots on Thursday night, and I think it was fifty one over under minus ten Pats uh, without T Y Hilton, not looking too promising for the Colts. But let's go on to the Patriots, who uh, in this game, I mean, this is the classic. Uh, the, the Patriots are going to suck this season. The dynasty's over. Miami Dolphins coming in all hot, three and now, and the Patriots just wiped them off the map here. Uh, Tom Brady played good. Sonny Michelle, a little breakout game. Uh, the Patriots obviously covered. I don't know what the over-under there. Parks, what did you see here out of the Pats? It just felt like the Dolphins came in and like kind of knew what the circumstances were. <laughs> yeah. They were like, if, if we win this game and we go to 4-0 and they're 1-3, you know, they're, they're, they kind of got ahead of themselves a little bit. And it just it, that's really what it looked like. And you know, I was reading something on The Athletic again where they said um, the film room this Monday, they watched it all as a team. They usually split into uh, – defense and offense and then go into the, you know their position groups but they all watched it as a team they said that there was uh however the reporter phrased it he said you know there were some fights during during film room this week and um i think they ended up cutting jordan phillips today i just saw on twitter because uh he ended up getting emotional on the sideline due to lack of playing time and i mean i would have played jordan his, phillips too myself ig story says free at last jordan phillips yes wow <laughs> So, yeah, like, like the Dolphins came into this game like really thinking that something was going to happen. And when it didn't happen, they got super emotional. And, like, you could kind of see it. It was kind of the way they were playing. They played really tense. And they didn't play the same style as football. And they weren't doing those little screens. Or when they did, it was like third and eight. And you're like, why are you running the screen to Albert Wilson on third and eight? At first, you know, um, I think the Patriots, they were pressing early, which was smart because, you know, you try and avoid the screens. And they were just daring him to beat – they were daring Tannehill to make reads and beat him deep. And I was saying through the first couple weeks, he was, you know, game manager all the way. And they were just like, you know, make a throw, Tannehill. Do something besides manage this game because you're not going to manage it against us. And he looked completely scared to do it and didn't really – you know, he was, he was pushing the ball down the field, but he wasn't connecting with anybody. And, you know, they go into the first quarter, um, and it's kind of, I think it was 3 nothing Patriots. 
and then it just everything just fell apart completely. Um, they ended up losing Daniel Kilgore, their center. And at first, I was gonna, you know, start making excuses. Oh, you know, you lose your center, that's your communicator. You know, that's a really tough loss. But like, it's Daniel Kilgore. Like, if you can't get over losing Daniel Kilgore, you got some issues. And you know, the first thing the backup center does is snaps it, you know, way behind Tannehill. He loses the ball. You punt. And uh, the Patriots go right down the field and score, you know, throw it to Cordero Patterson. Next thing you know, you know, a really bad snap. You know, they're screwing around in the backfield, have to punt because of the center again. And, you know, next thing you know, it's 17 nothing Patriots. And you're just like, wow. You know, really losing the center did all that to, you know, this game. Um, and it, that's kind of what happened here. It's just crazy to think about. But um, that's, and it just, that's what got them down. And once they were down, I think that's really when the fingers started getting pointed. And the players started, you know, Jordan Phillips is wondering why the hell he's not on the field when, you know, they're driving down him to go 17 nothing. Especially when, like you said, they were trying to get Sonny involved. And I said on the preview game, this is a great chance to get Sonny involved. And, yeah, that's why I took it. It was so slow because it actually did take Sonny a while to get going. It really did. And, you know, you can see that he's still kind of – he's young and he's, he's really not patient behind the line of scrimmage. He's really just kind of running into dudes like a freaking uh, – you know, just bouncing off of dudes like a pinball. But uh, it ended up working eventually, and it was really because his team just started falling apart in front of him. But um, so, you know, I'm not buying too, too much into what Sonny did, but it was it was a great game script for him. And he's going to continually get these game scripts where, you know, when they have to run the football, it's going to be him. And they're going to, you know, try and motion him and uh, James White out a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, I mean, you look at the Patriots. They got Josh Gordon involved in uh, – you know, the first first red zone opportunity, they got him the football. Uh, he was playing third down in red zone opportunities. You figure, you know, next week he's probably going to be involved a little more. You got Edelman coming back next week. You know, that all of a sudden totem pole effect, and you got Hogan is like a decent slot player, you know, where he was just a terrible number one. And, you know, now you got Sonny Michelle, and, you know, it looks like between Michelle and James White, they're figuring out their roles because you don't have that kind of log jam of Burkhead in between them. You know, so you're kind of just shuffling those two and, you know, Gronk. I think you're going to figure it out. He's just getting doubled. Everyone's kind of saying, oh, old and slow. He's just getting doubled, like, every single play. And, you know, eventually a guy like, uh, what's his name, is going to, Josh Gordon is going to open a lot of that up. So, really, yeah, just not worried about the Patriots at all. And you're looking at the Dolphins and saying, you know, can you pick yourselves up off the mat after this game? You know, how do you, how, like, how do you just, like, go out there and just completely embarrass yourself like that? It, that's really what, what it looked like happened, in my opinion. Yeah, they just got swam backward there. And uh, another note in the Patriots, they even found a way to get your boy Cordero Patterson involved. I don't know, this little uh, Yeah, it was, it was a pick play all the way. They should have probably called pass interference, but hey, he, he got wide open because of the pick and then just took it to the house. Whatever works. But uh, yeah. all right, let's go from the goats to the boat here as the one and only Blake Bortles goes in and just, uh, you know, have a lot of help from the defense there, but threw for 388 yards, and uh, the Jags beat the Jets 31-12. They covered over hits. Um, Sammy Darnold didn't look like his best, as expected, versus that mean Jags defense. Uh, Lenny got real hurt there. Again, looks like he re-injured that hammy, which yeah. is definitely cause for concern in the future, but uh, what did you see out of this Jaguars team in parts? I mean, every time Leonard Fournette leaves, Blake Bortles turns into, like, a competent <laughs> passer. <laughs> the boat, dude. It's the boat, you know? <laughs> Whatever it is, I mean, I think it has a little bit to do with, like I said, they don't respect him as a passer, or uh, they don't respect Fournette in the passing game, and at least they have to respect the other running backs. But Bortles just becomes this competent passer somehow down the field in these games. So um, it's, it's, tough. it's tough to look into. And, I mean, the other thing was I said I thought Perry Nickerson would be a – wouldn't be too bad with uh, Buster Screen out. Uh, Buster Screen ended up playing and ended up getting torched. So yeah, thanks a lot, Buster. <laughs> I should have just sat your ass. So um, that ended up, that ended up happening. Yeah, the other thing I mean, the Jets 
don't know. It's tough to really buy into the Jets too much. And uh, Darnold, you know, he's not – the fact of the matter is I think he just got overwhelmed by this Jaguars defense. It's just extremely fast, extremely athletic. Uh, the Jets offensive line is just awful. So, I mean, he's kind of – he was just, you know, running around for his life looking for, Queen, you know, Quincy and Noonwine any chance he could. And, uh, yeah, they weren't able to get any ground game going. Um, that's, that's really, you know, the, the Jets offense was just putrid because – you know, the Jags defense just swarmed everything that they were able to do. That's It's hard to really take anything away from, you know, what they did. Then at the end of the game, I thought it was interesting just because um, it was like 25 to 13 and then the Jets got a personal foul penalty. And then the Jaguars ended up, you know, they got the ball at like the 20-yard line at the two-minute warning and ended up punching the football in the end zone. So um, there was something going on and the Jaguars were pretty pissed at the Jets for some reason, in, in, probably in between the trenches. So um, I thought that was interesting at the very least. But yeah, like I said, the Jaguars kind of just swarmed Darnold. Bortles passed the football better. The second Leonard Fournette left the game, and that's about how it went. Yeah, DD8 pretty well as well. It's wild yeah, see. just tore up the slot, tore up Buster screen a little bit. Yeah. All right, well, let's go on down to the black hole here as your boy John Grin earns, really earned his first victory here. As he squeaks by in overtime to beat the Browns. And uh, they had to come back here in the fourth quarter, tie it up, take it to overtime. Uh, I think they covered. I think it was two and a half and they ended up closing that. And the over yeah. obviously hit 45-42, final score. Uh, points everywhere. Maury Cooper, as you said, had a nice big game there. Uh, Baker played solid as well. Uh, what did you see here, Parks? Yeah, I mean, did Gruden, like, earn it, or did Hugh Jackson kind of just toss it over to him? We didn't say it was the battle of the minds there as head coaches. (laughs) Oh, man, what a game it was. I mean, it really was just two teams just really, you know, neither one wanting to win, both kind of just passing it over to each other. You know, starting with the Baker Mayfield interception, you know, pick six, you're down seven to three, and then the Raiders kind of just cough it up, and it's 17-7. And, you know, back and forth from there, you know, it was 28-17 for a little bit. 34-28, 34-28, you know, the Raiders come storming all the way back, you know, 42-34, whatever, you know, all the way. Just, you know, two teams that just really didn't, you know, weren't trying to win this game. Um, you know, Baker, I mean, he's this is what he's going to be for a little bit now, you know. He's the playmaker and all that. And he's going to turn the football over, you know, trying to do a lot of it. Um, it looked like things were, you know, moving fast for him a little bit, especially – you could kind of see it because the lack of the pass rush, you know, that Baker was still kind of rushing things, even though there wasn't too much of a pass rush. And you were kind of just like, you know, slow down, breathe. It's going to be there, you know, just, you know, work it through. And um, I think he's going to, and it's going to be fine. It's just, you know, your first road start, everything like that, the black hole, I'm sure you got the nerves going. So um, you kind of saw that a little bit from Baker. He turned the football over. Um, the pocket kind of collapsed around him a little bit. Maurice Hurst, another guy. Um, if you listen to our full press coverage radio podcast, um, I'm, I was on there a ton uh, bumping Maurice Hurst should be a first-round pick. I know he had heart issues, and he, he slid into like the fourth or fifth round because of those heart issues. But um, so cool to see him you know, getting over that and being able to, you know, he had a sack and a forced fumble against Baker in this game. So, I mean, just awesome to see that, you know, the rookies providing that. And, you know, when you start to look at this defense, um, they're super old, but like maybe you could try and get some of these young players out there. You know, Reggie Nelson, uh, the other thing, you know, Baker, um, they're driving to kick a field goal, you know, kind of close to the end of the game. And, you know, it was very similar to the pick six where this is what he was doing. This is why I was saying it's kind of moving a little fast for him. He's looking to his right, and then he just, you know, without even looking to his left, he'll just shift his hips to to the left and just throw it. 
you know, he'll just throw it. Like, it's got to be there. You know, like he just, he feels like he has that instinct. And he probably in college, you know, it was probably just, you know, so obvious that, you know, I look right, the safety's gone, I flip my hips and it's there. But, you know, in the NFL, you kind of got to look a little bit. You got to be like, oh, shouldn't throw that one. You know, especially I shouldn't throw it up for grabs for Reggie Nelson, who's kind of the only player there, you know. And uh, like I said, it was like a less than a minute left in the, in the tie game. So um, th- that's kind of where, you know, like I said, things are rushing for Baker. If he just took a second and breathed a little bit, he could figure it out. But then, you know, he got Reggie Nelson, you know, he was burning it. He had... Uh, Callaway deep and missed him on one and then he you know connected with him deep for another one so um gonna be interesting with that uh the other thing they're trying to use Callaway a little bit and like all that motion stuff like I talked about you know they try and use him kind of similar to Tyree Kill and like he was slipping and the timing was off on some of them and it looked really awkward on some of it he's kind of just a guy that you kind of have to send on go routes right now and I know they're trying to turn you know Jarvis Landry into not that and turn him into like this a b possession receiver but you know or maybe that's you know where Duke Johnson comes into play you start moving him in motion a little bit more so um something something like that because you know the Raiders defense is awful and you should put up 42 on him but I really think you know it was a lot of Baker's turnovers that um that put the offense right back into this game or you know put the put the Browns defense into some bad spots. I really do. I don't think the Browns defense played terrible. Um, they're going to lose Terrence Mitchell, but you know that's the worst player on their defense, so it's not too huge of an, a loss in my opinion. And if you look at this defense, I mean, player for player, there's a lot of talent on this defense, like a lot of freaking talent. It's crazy to think about. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the Browns. You know, If they can kind of figure some things out, like I said, if Baker could slow some things down, I think they're a pretty good team. As for the Raiders, I mean, Car, it's just the same old stuff. It really is the same old stuff from them. They're they're not really well coached. Um, they kind of have a bread and butter, and they go to it. It's just they don't really have anything to branch off of it. So um, it's kind of just like when the when the same stuff that we thought was going to work isn't working. We don't really have anywhere to go, and that's kind of where they stall. And we get these momentum shifts in these games. So you know, yeah, I'm not really taking too much away from the Raiders. I really think, like I said, if Baker kind of just slowed things down a little bit, he probably would have won this game. And uh, yeah, I think the Raiders kind of got to him a little bit. Yeah, fun little guy there. Nice to see the Browns lose, though, in my opinion. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And uh, I was saying about the defense, I think you've got to bench Reggie Nelson. You've got to bench Derek Johnson. I know they did bench Derek Johnson in this game. you got to start benching these old guys and start getting your young players on the field. You know, Arden Key has to play every single snap. Um, what's his name? Maurice Hurst has to play every single snap. Get these young guys out there and start figuring out with them. Out with the old and with the new. Yeah, you got to do it. Gotta keep Gary on Conley on the field. They were just saying, you know, he might get benched too. Like, you got to get – it doesn't matter guy. at this point. Play your young players. <laughs> All right, well, let's stay in the West here and go to an NFC West match. I didn't see much of this game, but the Hawks pull out one here. Uh, 2017 over the Cardinals. Was this Josh Rosen's first start, I believe? It yeah. was. Yeah, um, he had, what, 15-27, 181 touchdown. I saw they had uh, David Johnson more in the mix there. Um, Russ didn't do much stats-wise. It looks like Mike Davis had two tutties. Um, I think the Cardinals did cover the three-and-a-half, and it stayed under. Parks, what did you see in this yeah. one? Yeah, this game was weird because I guess, like, I don't know, there's more different perception off of, you know, what actually happened and what happened. You know, a lot of people are kind of saying, you know, oh, is this t- the time to buy the Seahawks in this power running game and this and that? I'm not really sure about any of that. You know, like you said, I don't think Russ really, you know, they kind of are taking away what Russ does best. And that's, you know, the improvisational, improvisational down the field, you know, crazy stuff that he does. You know, they're kind of taking some of that away from him by, you know, keeping him in these tight, you know, control the clock, run the football stuff. And, you know, the weirdest thing was, uh, they, you know, Chris Carson's out for this game and they go to Mike Davis ahead of Rashad Penny. You know, you're, you're really just scratching your head at, you know, why they, I guess, you know, 
they have Penny in this complimentary role and they just want him in this complimentary role. I don't know how you spend a first round pick on a player that, you know, can't get on the field over Mike Davis. And I used to like Mike Davis like three or four years ago, but uh, I totally, you know, gave up on that dream, you know, along with a lot of other running backs who flamed out, you know, like Kristen Michael, you know, just like guys like that. And you're just like, you know, he's not going to be this long-term player. You know, he hasn't, he's a decent little runner and, you know, he can, he has good vision between the tackles, but I don't know what you. I don't know how you're not getting Penny involved. I don't know what you're doing in this game. And they, you know, the Cardinals are not a good team, and the Seahawks kind of, you know, had to fight and claw and scrape back in this game. So I'm not impressed with what what Seattle did, and I really think Arizona handed this game to Seattle. Um, the fact of the matter is, like, I thought Rosen looked pretty well. I thought he played as good as you want a rookie to play. Honestly, you know, I know he was at home, and it was, but his, you know, first start, I thought he played well. Um, he has like this old man game where he's just like comfortable. You know, he's just like he just like kind of gets on the on the field and he just kind of handles everything in front of him. Um, he had like four or five drops in this game, like just straight up drops. Christian Kirk, they would have had the ball at like the five yard line, dropped it. Uh, Chad Williams in the end zone would have won the game, dropped it. And then you know you go from that Chad Williams drop to uh, they you know run the ball with like two minutes left. It's like a forty six yard field goal, and they just run the ball and they run the ball and they run the ball and they kick a forty six yard field goal and they miss it. And, you know, Seattle gets great field position because you kind of just stalled your drive out at the 30-yard line. And then they go right down the field and kick the game-winning field goal. So, I mean, I I honestly think that, yeah, Rosen put the ball in his receiver's hands. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald had three drops, which is just, you know, unheard of. So, um, I thought Rosen played well. I thought multiple times he put the Cardinals in an opportunity to win the football game. It just didn't really come home for him. So, I'm not buying the Seahawks at all. I'm kind of just buying that – you know, first start with all these receivers who really, you know, there's not much talent in them, or at least, at least with Christian Kirk, you could buy into something. And like I said, Fitzgerald dropped a touchdown himself. So I kind of think it's all going to slowly start to come together. So I'm at least I'm more optimistic on what the Cardinals offense did than anything you've seen so far, you know, from what Sam Bradford's doing, at least Rosen, he pushed the ball down the field. Like I said, multiple times, um, he connected on one and then, yeah, multiple drops on him. So he was accurate deep down the field. Like I said, just showed poise. I said before um, the draft and everything, I didn't have him as my number one quarterback, but I did say he was the most pro-ready quarterback. So I really think, you know, he could be fine moving forward and he's going to provide this offense with spark. Um, yeah, like you said, they got David Johnson moving a little bit more. Still need to do more with him. Like there's just so much on the table with what you can do in terms of his versatility. And they're just kind of pounding in between the tackles a little bit. And yeah, the offense is going to open things up and they can, you know, get him in the slot and throw to him a little bit. But there's more to do with him that they should be doing. So um, that's kind of where I stand on that. Yeah, between like Ricky Seals Jones, David Johnson, I know Fitz was hurt. Kirk's a solid player. They got some weapons for Rosen. So they're 0 4. I expect them to get like, you know, at least a win, not, you know, get totally defeated all season. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm standing. And yeah, I mean, Rosen's going to have his. Uh, Growing pains for sure. You know, he's going to have some Baker Mayfield moments, like I said in that game. But um, I do really think, you know, he handled himself pretty well in this first start. And I don't think the stats are indicative at all of what he did in this game. Um, He also drew a pass interference that led to a David Johnson one-yard touchdown. So, um, yeah, you know, that's not on the stat sheet. So, yeah, I I really do think Rosen had a pretty good game. Nice, nice. 
Alright, well let's go to the game of the week that probably angered you the most there, Parks. Uh <laughs> you got the Saints rolling into the big uh New York here playing the Alzheimer's Eli Mannings. Um 33-18. The Saints pull off a nice victory here, if you want to call it that. Uh the under it just hits under, I think by by one point, and the Saints cover the spread. Uh, you had some plays on this. I think you had the Giants and you had the money line. Um Kamara had the fancy god himself, had a giant game as usual. Uh, the Giants just, they couldn't do it on offense, basically, against this uh, Saints defense that has been looking lackluster all season. Yeah, this was, I, I watched this whole game, and it was just like pulling teeth. It was just the most frustrating <laughs> thing in the entire world. It really was. It's like, what? Eli, I, I was telling you pre-show, and I truly believe this now. I looked it up. Uh, dollar for dollar, he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. There's just no doubt about it because he holds his team back in terms of like they could build some more around him with that money. And he's just so stinking bad. He's killing this team. You know, the offensive line isn't great, but it's not all on them. It's really not. And the Saints didn't provide, you know, they got him a little bit, but they didn't provide too, too much pressure. And the thing is, when they provide pressure, he is so slow and unaware of what is going on that he has no <laughs> chance whatsoever. He really, like, he'll try and turn around, and it turns into him sitting down on the ground. Like, that's, that's what he does. He can't move. He can't move in the pocket whatsoever. I mean, he has Odell Beckham wide open multiple times, throws it way over his head. I mean, like, some of the worst passes you'll ever see in football. And you're just – like, this is like the second or third year of him doing this. So that's why you're wondering, like, what the heck is going on here? Like, every, I know Evan Ingram isn't out, but situationally, this thing is perfect. And uh, the Saints kind of realized about, you know, or pretty early into this game that Eli Manning is scared to move the football. Like I said it, I think, in week one or two. He's, he's truly afraid to move the football more than 15 yards down the field because he knows what's going to happen. I mean, this is actually the same exact thing that happened to his brother. And um, no, nobody talks about it for some reason. We're all just like, oh, what's going on? It's the offensive line. This is all Eli. It's 100% Eli. He has um, – they said he had like – last week he had like the 14th most time in the pocket and he had the uh, the number one uh, check – whatever it is, yards per attempt, lowest yards per attempt. So he had average time in the pocket and he was still checking the football down. And it was this Saints defense where, like I said, they figured out what was going on. They were daring Eli to throw him the – throw the football deep. They were saying if you want to throw the football to Rhett Ellison for five yards and if you want to throw it behind the line of scrimmage for Saquon and he'll pick up eight and it's a net five, like go ahead. But like you got Odell Beckham on this field, and he's not going to beat us. And it's like, yeah, that's 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 a game breaker, and it's a killer for this team. And you look at this game, you go up seven nothing, and then they, you know, the Saints go come right back marching down the field, and it's seven three. But uh, they were screwing up on offense. Um, you know, Zach Lyon drops a football early. Uh, Michael Thomas couldn't get involved whatsoever. Uh, what's his name? Janoris Jenkins came alive. Landon Collins came alive on defense. You know, they were playing up to the moment. Breeze was really struggling. I don't think Breeze threw a touchdown pass in this game. Um, and, but, you know, Eli, you know, it's it's 7-6, and then it's 7-9, and then it's 7-12. And you're thinking, like, how much can Eli push his team back to where the defense is just, you know, holding up and holding up and holding up and holding up? And it's like, when's the dam going to break? And, yeah, that's what happened in the second half, and that's why Alvin Kamara just exploded. Well, you know, they were just sick of they were sick of holding Eli up for so long. That's really what happened. And Odell Beckham's pissed off, and he's heading to the locker room at the two minute warning because you know he doesn't have a quarterback, and you know it's just crazy that um, yeah that they would they would pass on a quarterback picking second overall. But I mean, I guess they're going to pick you know probably in the top five again this year. So um, 
you know, maybe, I don't know, whoever it is, whoever the top quarterback is, you know, you get him plus Saquon and it's this master plan or whatever. But right now it's just infuriating because you're wasting an entire year of Odell Beckham's prime. Yeah, it's pretty bad to watch. And uh, it's honestly, the Giants fans cannot be happy. I mean, for the record, who is their backup? Kyle Laletta from Richmond, uh, who geez. like uh, people are just like he's this year's Jimmy Garoppolo, and I don't think so at all. I mean, I thought he was more like Alex Smith in that he doesn't really push the ball down the field, and he's quick check down, quick check down, quick check down. So I mean, I don't think it's much different. Uh, th- yeah, they're gonna have to draft somebody eventually. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look good out there. But um, is it? I mean, so future wise, are, are you gonna be betting on Eli anymore? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> there's probably gonna be spots and i'm gonna sucker myself into it but uh it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard for me because this is a it was a perfect spot and the saints laid it right on the table and said you know um come take it come take it from us you know we're not showing up for this game and like i said you know they're handing over um yards to eli and eli didn't take advantage whatsoever so i mean this was a great spot for them and they just completely you know cracked the bed and it really is it's not the offensive line i mean the offensive line isn't great but it's 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 eli at this point Shake my head, shake my head. It's um, awful. Let's move on to the last 4 o'clock game. And a game that was closer than expected. But the Chargers do come on top here. Uh, 29-21. The Niners easily cover. Uh, Over-under, probably one over here. CJ Beathard, solid game. Um, I didn't really see much of this one. It was one of those 4 o'clock games. What do we see here, Parks? Yeah, it was kind of kind of how I said where, you know, you're looking at Sam Fran, who's going to – Give it their all without with you know out their quarterback kind of showing themselves in this game, and then you got LA who's kind of picking themselves off the mat against the Rams, you know. And the next thing you know, I think it was seventeen to three, you know, something like that, or fourteen to three. You know, the Chargers get themselves in a huge hole, and really, you know, from there they kind of just scrap themselves right back into it. You know, the, the Chiefs or the 49ers didn't do too much. You know, it was a pick six by Phil Rivers to start the game. Um, he just threw the ball straight over Keenan Allen's head, just a little blooper. So, um, really dumb pass there. You know, dig yourself a hole, everything like that. But um, yeah, he fought himself back. They used the running game. They used the running backs. Um, you know, Melvin Gordon in the passing game is just legitimate now. It's just a thing that's going to continually happen. So um, really good, especially when you can mix and match him and Eckler. So they're both kind of just staples of this offense. Mike Williams, I mean, he didn't get involved. I don't know how they didn't really get him involved. I know. I started in every fantasy line. to do shit. Yeah, I know. I put him in DFS too, and it didn't really work out for me. Um, luckily, some of the other guys came through. But yeah, he didn't do anything. I don't really understand how you could because their cornerbacks were just getting torched. I mean, Keenan Allen was having a great little day, and they're you know figuring some things out in the passing game. It just yeah, it wasn't really him. Um, but yeah, if you look at this 49ers defense, they're going to have some issues moving forward. You know, just everywhere on the outside, they have some issues right now. Um, you know, Akella Witherspoon, I'm a fan of his, but, you know, he's getting benched in and out for uh, a dude named Greg Maben. So, I mean, he's kind of struggling. Um, Jimmy Ward has some size issues, and, you know, he got picked on a little bit. Um, they're shuffling their safeties around. You know, I know Jakorski Tart was out for the second or third straight week. And DJ Reed on, at free safety, they're actually saying that they might, um, because he's a rookie, they might keep DJ Reed in at free safety moving forward. So um, that's kind of like a fourth round rookie that, you know, they're just going to continually play with out there. And that's what I was kind of saying on one of the last podcasts, which is what you should do with this. You know, if you're the 49ers, you're kind of thinking it's kind of over with CJ Beathard. You know, you kind of see where they are. Like I said, you get a 17 to three lead and you know, you can't even sit on that with CJ Beathard one. Cause your defense is so bad. They have no pass rush is another thing. And I don't know where, you know, the only way they're going to get pass rush is if they pick in the top five this year and take a pass rusher. So, you know, this is kind of incentivized to, um, like I said, try DJ Reed out, you know, keep a out there, even if he's getting burnt, 
But, um, you know, try some of these young players, Dante Pettis, you know, try some of these young players on offense and figure them out there. So, I mean, that's kind of your takeaway for San Francisco. Um, they were really about to get torched in the second half. And then George, or, uh, yeah, George Kittle just took like an 80 yard pass to the end zone to, uh, I think that made it 24, 20 or 27, 20, 27-26. It was something like that. But uh, they were going to get blown out of this game if George Kittle just didn't take a busted coverage. And that's one thing for the Chargers you have to think about is, they have two like good strong safeties like Derwin James and Jalil Adai. Um, Adai was you know their starting uh, strong safety last season, and then Derwin James kind of just falls into your lap. So those are your top two safeties, but they're both kind of strong safeties. And I said you know Derwin, if you look at it, he plays like uh, it's like ten percent on the edge, like twenty percent linebacker, twenty percent slot, twenty percent strong safety, ten percent free safety, but. Uh, Jalil Adai really struggles in free safety and you can't do all that you want to do with Derwin in terms of shuffling him around when you have such a liability over the top and that's where you know that's where the Niners got him I think twice in this game and uh, you know that's Kyle Shanahan he's going to continually pick his mismatches but um yeah it's going to be interesting for the Chargers defense they need to get Joey Bosa back and they need to get Legit back on their defensive line so they can get a pass rush but um yeah they need a free safety at this point and uh, so the Chargers moved to two and two. And uh, from what I heard, uh, I heard the stuff up center was uh, the soccer stadium was full of Niners fans as usual, which is always <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> All right, well let's move on to the Sunday nighter and a game that didn't taste too good here. Um, this was, was uh, it started out the Ravens coming out hot. Alex Collins fumbled the ball, almost made it twenty one nothing, but he fumbled. Steve's come back, fourteen fourteen. Our lawyers are looking solid. We're, you thought, you know, maybe rule in the second half and just take over the game, but uh, the offense didn't show up at all. And the Ravens take this one in the classic rivalry game in Pittsburgh, 26-24. The Ravens cover and the under hits. Uh, Parks, you had a nice tease on this game. Uh, you had the steez and they let you down, obviously, but you ca- definitely called the under there. What yep. did you see here? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, um, like you said, it was 14-14, you know, they come out in the second half and you're expecting the Steelers to, you know, kind of right in the ship or at least momentum was heading that way and it just kind of didn't go to fruition. And um, I talked about it a lot on uh, the FPC Radio Network Steelers podcast, so you can kind of listen. I'll go position by position on that one. But, you know, my two big takeaways were really um, for the Steelers offense, you know, because I said on that podcast, if you hold a team to under 30 in today's NFL and you're the Pittsburgh Steelers at this point that's a win and the defense in my opinion did enough to win this game I mean in the second half it's you know four field goals is all you do and it's really you know one was off a pick by Ben Roethlisberger and it's some you know some short field stuff due to this offense couldn't get the football going in the second half and you know um, some of it's a little play calling but I've thought you know Ben Roethlisberger was just awful in this game like he was, it was truly, in my opinion, one of the worst games he's played at least in a long time. And I was talking to my buddy on the podcast, you know, before the show, and I wrote an article about after his five interception game. I kind of said, "Calm down about it. It wasn't that big of a deal." Um, and even Ben Roethlisberger after the game kind of joked about it, and you know, said, "You know, maybe I don't have it anymore." This and that, you know, his passive aggressive ways. But um, he was truly awful in this game. He was worse on Sunday than he was in that five interception game against the Jaguars and um, you could see in his press conference after the game he wasn't joking around about it he was very uh, you know open and honest and he said you know I blew the game um, I missed my, all my receivers you know they were saying were, were you why were you not on this or you know you and AB did not look like you were on the same page he said you know I wasn't on the same page with anyone I was missing everybody 
had a really bad day at the office, um, took ownership, which Ben never does that. And, you know, I was actually kind of finally happy for Ben. And I said on the one podcast, you know, he doesn't have to do it because it's actually usually never Ben's fault. But uh, this game, it, it was really all Ben's fault. There's just no way around it because, um, you know, the disconnect between Ben and Antonio Brown, it's just, you know, for the fourth straight week, it's continued. And now you're starting to see it's pretty obviously Ben. Um, you know, because he's just missing wide open Antonio Brown now. You know, it's not as egregious as Odell Beckham and Eli Manning, but um, one of them was as egregious as Odell Beckham and Eli Manning, where you're just like, Ben, what the hell are you doing? You know, how do you miss that throw? So, I um, mean, those, those were on third downs too, which was really crucial. And they were in the second half. Um, I believe the second half went uh, on third down. It was a pass to Switzer and a punt, um, an incompletion to AB, a punt, an incompletion to AB, a punt, an incompletion to AB, and a punt. So, I mean, that's how you end third down. And all three of them were Ben Roethlisberger's fault. So, he's got to pick himself off the mat in this game because it was one of the worst performances he's had. And like I said, the game was on the table. The defense put the game on the table for you. You know, 28-26, you have to win that football game. If you're, if you know the Steelers' offense, you know Ben Roethlisberger, all that. I will say the Ravens' defense. You know, it's it's, it's a really good defense. They're really talented. Marlon Humphrey is a pretty good cornerback, and Carr played a lot better than you know I gave him credit for. Um, he knocked the touchdown away from Juju. So you know the Ravens' defense is really good, and I mean Suggs just ate uh, Alejandro Villanueva just constantly in that game. That wasn't really good for him. But I was saying also on the podcast that this was kind of the first game where you realized that. Um, this defense or the offense kind of misses Le'Veon Bell. You know, um, I was saying, you know, Ben's a rhythm player and he's out of rhythm. And, you know, a nice little player to, you know, check the football down to and kind of get yourself in this rhythm is a player like Le'Veon Bell. And I know Connor's been fine in the passing game. And uh, Tomlin said he's, you know, happy with him in the passing game. But, you know, Connor doesn't like break tackles or, you know, he's not really breaking anything into open yard. He's kind of getting what he's getting. And that's kind of all he's getting. Le'Veon Bell will get you, you know, if you need eight, he's going to get you eight, whereas Connor sometimes will get you five, you know, and I posted a picture on a, on FPC underscore Steelers of Connor kind of missing a wide open hole where, you know, Le'Veon is kind of just known for his great vision. And I was saying that, you know, if you look at Le'Veon's statistics against the Ravens, it's always kind of like 20 for 60, 20 for 70. You know, it's not an impressive game. But it's the 20. You know what I mean? It's the fact that you can consistently go back to him and you can control the clock in that regard. And the Steelers had no faith in going the corner between the tackles. And that had a lot to do with the Ravens' defensive line. But the fact that, you know, the Ravens' defensive line isn't different through the years. You know, it's a fierce unit no matter what. But you're pounding Le'Veon Bell and you're controlling the clock and you're kind of taking your three yards with him. But you're kind of scared to do that with uh James Conner, and they're trying to shuffle Switzer into the backfield. And it's nice because, you know, you don't have Le'Veon Bell. But, you know, seven for 32, you know, he's just he's a Ben. He's a Ben checkdown player. And Ben's kind of afraid to push the football down the field at this point. That's what I was talking about. So it's going to be interesting because the only time Ben completes passes down the field now are when players are just wide open with, you know, no room for air, you know, all the room for air in the world. When there's no room for air, Ben just he throws it out of bounds. It's really what's going on. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I know he has that. He's got the sleeve on, you know, is that what's going on? I talked about the first four weeks of the season. You're trying to sort some things out. So that's really my takeaway on offense for the Ravens. Um, Flacco's motivated, man, and he looks pretty good. And John Brown, I said that I thought John Brown was going to have a huge game against this defense. And, you know, you take the top off right away. But yeah, I mean, Flacco's making smart decisions. He's not turning the football over. He's clearly pissed off at Lamar Jackson. And um, the Ravens need to stop putting Lamar Jackson on the field. No, no, I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I mean, it's nice when you're a Steelers fan and you know what the play call is the second he gets on the field. But I mean, they're they're ruining the flow of the offense. It's so funny to see Joe Flacco just stand there, just so pissed off with 
with like no emotion. So takes a snap and he's just standing there. But um, yeah, their their offense is humming a little bit. I mean, the Ravens are going to be a good team, and everyone's pressing the panic button in Pittsburgh. But um, you lost to the Chiefs and the Ravens, and they're probably both going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely a little panic worthy here in Pittsburgh. But um, next week, you know, I feel like Ben's definitely going to bounce back here after that atrocious second half performance. Listen, if you don't if you don't bounce back against Atlanta, um, yeah, then you start to have to really worry about Ben Roethlisberger. I do think the offense will bounce back, especially with the over under already set at fifty seven. But let's see if that defense can hold up there. Uh, yeah, that's what it's going to – another thing was Terrell Edmonds was awful in this game. I mean, just brutal. And the interesting thing was, you know, they're moving away from, uh, you know, the old school Steelers zone blitz and all that, and we're heading right into Tomlin Tampa 2. It's, you know – I mean, they, it's not going to be Tomlin Tampa 2 all the way, but they're being more versatile, and that's what they want. And that's why, you know, last week Sean Davis was playing single high a lot, and uh, this week Terrell Edmonds was playing single high a lot. And that was probably a bad idea. I mean, Sean Edmund, or Sean Davis was a beast in the box. And you figure with the Ravens' tight ends and the running backs, you know, he handled himself really well in that regard. But um, John Brown destroyed Terrell Edmonds. And it's going to be growing pains because it, like, if you want this versatility and you are so young, it's, 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 that's what's going to come with it. Yeah, dude. John Brown's absolute burner. And you saw that last night. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was an easy <laughs> call. John Brown was going to beat the Steelers for at least one. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the Monday Nighter. And uh, you came back and hit a nice little play here for, I think, like one and a half units on these Chiefies. But it didn't look promising at first as the Broncos just, they finally found a way to slow down my, my homies for at least three quarters. But then, as they call them, uh, Showtime Mahomes now uh, came back <laughs> and uh, just absolutely electric making plays with his legs making throws i mean the kid is just unbelievable and they pull out the victory 27 23 and for most people i we got it at three three and a half was like the midpoint line there most people got and they covered i mean this was absolutely something out of my homies what did you see there parks yeah man just scratching by that was just an awesome game it really was and you know it kind of was almost exactly what i said on the podcast was you know the spots here for denver you know, all out, all out in this game, you know, the crowd, Monday night football, undefeated Chiefs, it's got to slow down at some point, you know, here it comes. And, uh, you know, but I said, I'm not going to buy into that. And I'm not going to take Denver, because Mahomes is the X factor. And, um, you know, it's not the same old Chiefs. And I thought Case Keenum wasn't, you know, he can't seal off a game. And that's exactly what happened in this game. I mean, just, you know, play for play. I, you know, you assume the Chiefs would have got out on him because they seem to get out on everybody. But, you know, when that didn't happen, you were like, you know, buckle up, here we go for this game. But, um, yeah, that's really, you know, you kept saying, you know, when's the Keenum mistake coming? And he threw one, and then uh, the Chiefs didn't really capitalize on it. But, um, you know, Keenum – He's just fine. He really is just fine. And um, another thing before I really get into the game, Jason Witten is brutal. He's so bad, he, dude. He's the worst announcer I've ever heard in my life. Like, he's the worst ever, truly. And, like, John Gruden, you were replacing John Gruden, and you got so much worse. I thought I was, John Gruden. I was a big John Gruden fan, to be honest. I like his enthusiasm, <laughs> for sure. You know, when he started calling uh, – Antonio Brown, Antonio Bryant, and Juju Smith-Schuster, Joe John. I was like, all right. Uh, Tough look, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, lost, you lost it there. You lost me there, John. But uh, Jason Witten is brutal. And I, honestly, I don't think he watched any Case Keenum tape before coming into the game. So, uh, because the way he was describing him, I'm just like, what is what does he think Case Keenum does? Because like he was like, Case Keenum's a check-down game manager. And 
Like that's not what Case Keenum is like. This guy who just like whips the ball down the field with like really no no care whatsoever. That's really you know that's what he was, and it was working at some times, and it wasn't at other times. You know, against his Chiefs defense, everything's gonna work at some time. You know, and the running game was really what worked in this game. And this was another thing where I was talking about, and it's starting to really make its way. You know, from the you know underground to the beat writers to the national level, where um, there's a disconnect in the offense between the Broncos. Um, Vance Joseph, he's got some control issues and their offensive coordinator, they're definitely clashing. There's just no doubt about it because the play calling, it makes it really makes no sense and it's sporadic. And you can tell that one, you know, one drive this guy has it and the next drive this guy has it. And that's why they're they're so sporadic with the running game. And it's so awkward with how like sometimes Devontae Booker's in there and you're just like, wait, what is going on here? Like it was third and one and they had him in there and you're just it was, you know, Royce Freeman time or it spread him out with Philip Lindsay time. And uh, you know, they go neither and they go with uh Devontae, so they're really figuring some things out in terms of play calling, in terms of personnel, in terms of you know, like who's in command of this offense. So um, that's interesting, especially when you have a guy like Case Keenum, who's already you know prone to making mistakes. So you know I'm not buying into Denver, and they did take on Baltimore, and they did take on Kansas City, and I said you know don't you know Pittsburgh beat them too, but uh, their wins aren't impressive either to me. So I'm um, still not really looking into. Um, Denver too much, but their defense did play well. Bradley Chubb had a really good game, and um, I really thought, in my opinion, that Mahomes was fine throughout the game. Like, you know, they're, oh, under adversity, oh, he's getting this and that, you know. The offensive line struggled at times. They put him in really bad situations with false starts. Um, Travis Kelsey, I forgot. <laughs> I was te- My buddy was on the Broncos, and he was texting me throughout the game, and uh, he was, you know, just, and I forgot, Travis Kelsey is soft in big moments. I forgot all about that. It was with Alex Smith all the time. And I was just thinking, you know, oh, it's Alex Smith. It's, you know, shoving off to these guys. But um, he was soft again in this game. You know, he misses contested catches. He's really not a strong blocker. You know, he's getting blown off the line. And I remembered it because um, it was a few years ago, back when they had Peyton. Um, Von Miller took his lunch and called him fake Gronk one time. And I just, like, I totally bought into that. Yeah, he called him fake Gronk. And I, for, like, years I was on that fake Gronk train. And Dude, then, um, I, did, I, you I, hear, did you hear Booger? He said that. Uh, Kelsey was the best tight end in the NFL. He I said, did, "Sorry, yeah. Gronk." Did you? I was like, Are you I, know, and I was like, me? "This is so crazy." I was watching Gronk today, and I was thinking that um, if you watch, you know, maybe in fantasy football, you could argue Kelsey, whatever. But if you watch Gronk block, it's not even—it's truly not even close between Kelsey and Gronk. It's still not at all. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, everyone's like, "Oh, Gronk lost a step." You're double teaming him on every single play. Um, they were—they were pushing uh, Kelsey a lot, and they were double teaming him a little bit, but. Um, he also doesn't make tough catches. And he was, you know, like I said, getting blown off the line a little bit. And he had a stupid holding call. And, you know, they were force-feeding him the football to try and get him involved because he couldn't get himself involved. And, like, Pat Mahomes could get – he could get anybody involved. This dude is – he's better than I thought he was, like a lot better than I thought he was. It's crazy what he's been doing right now, you know, in terms of when these plays break down, just getting out of the pocket and, like, these rifles that he makes are he just un- – Ball left-handed. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And like that, the thing was like the left-handed pass was crazy. That was like his fifth craziest pass of the game. Yeah. Like that's what's so crazy. You're just like, but what about the one where he was like falling backwards and like sidearm through it like thirty yards down yeah. the field and connected on Tyreek Hill for his, the first down. His power's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, man. And yeah, I don't know. He's he's a completely different quarterback. And I mean, like I Tyreek Hill was in and out of the game, had some foot stuff, wasn't really able to make an impact. Um, like I said, Travis Kelsey's a little soft. Their tackles held up really well against uh, Vaughn and uh, Chubb. Sammy but pulled pushed. his hamstring too. Yeah, Sammy pulled his hamstring. Uh, you know, they're they're getting pushed around a little bit. They're getting false start calls. They're getting holding calls. You know, everything is going against Mahomes. 
and but Mahomes just stayed poised and was just so good. And it's just like, um, yeah, he's. I mean, I can't think of a quarterback that I've been like this excited about really for a while. So um, yeah, it's crazy to think about what this dude could do. You know, moving forward. I mean, they play the Jaguars this week. And that's just going to be so freaking awesome. Oh, I can't because, wait. Because um, it's really like, I mean, the, the amount of athleticism on that football field is just going to be insane. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's really, I mean, that's the takeaway is, you know, really, really looking forward to seeing that Jaguars-Chiefs game. No doubt, no doubt. Miami's is sick. I wish I picked him up in more fantasy leagues. I'm upset about that. I know we needed a Chiefs season preview podcast because that would have been uh, – that would have been like greatest hits, Parker Hurley. We just keep replaying that on loop. I would have been talking. I would have <laughs> Uh, that's on us. All right, next year, though. <laughs> yeah, we'll get him. We'll get him. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up the season four recapper. Um, you want to talk about the season five Thursday nighter here, Parks? Might as well, yeah. All right, so we have uh, Pats and Colts here. Um, as we said earlier, um, Andy Luck is rolling into the Patriots. They're probably not going to have T.Y. Hilton from what I saw. I'm not sure what you saw. But I don't think he's going to play either. Yeah, yeah I don't think he's going to play. Um, the over is a 51 and a half, but New England is minus 10 right now. Um, New England obviously coming off that big win. Indy coming off that big loss. Uh, I mean, what do you, what do you think is going to happen here, Parks? I mean, for me personally, I'm looking. I mean, I haven't done anything yet on this, and I don't think I will because, like you said, with T.Y. Hilton, and my big actually, what I'm really looking for is Darius Leonard has a foot injury. And I've been talking about him as a linebacker, you know, really, really stepping forward this year. And if he's out, it's just so hard against, you know, the linebacker or the uh, Gronkowski and the running backs of the New England Patriots. But, I mean, you've got to be looking Colts here. In this situation, I mean, there's a, there's a trend that, you know, I don't buy too, too much into trends, but uh, Patriots, when they're uh, less than a seven-point favorite, they just cover like 80% of the time. But when they're more than a seven-point favorite, they really don't cover that much. And, you know, it's probably because Bill Belichick, you know, comes up with these uh, bland game plans, you know, in games where he could probably kind of get away on some of these teams. And, you know, if you're, you're kind of thinking about this situation, um, Thursday night football, short week, you know, kind of just got a nice little division win. Um, you know, this Colts team's really banged up. You know, they don't want any parts of a slugfest in this game. You know, like I said, luck is coming off of, uh, you know, 60 passes, you know, for really, you know, stretching his arm out for the first time in a while. And uh, now he's got a short week in the travel. So, you know, the Colts are not going to come out into this game and play a slugfest. And, um, and like I said, I don't think the Patriots are going to be, you know, too, too exotic with what they're doing. Um, especially if Darius Leonard's not here, you kind of just pound the football, continually get Sonny Michelle involved and kind of just do the same thing. And, you know, hopefully the Colts don't puke all over themselves like the Dolphins did and actually make it a game. But, um, yeah, that's kind of where you're thinking. And, I mean, more I'm talking about it, probably looking into the under a little bit in this game, you know, because then you look at the Patriots' schedule and who do you have next week is um, Showtime Mahomes. I, I got to think of a better nickname than Showtime Mahomes. I'm I not, mean, I don't, it's the one they said. I personally don't like it. It kind of makes me hate Mahomes a little bit. Yeah, that. me too. It's like there's the Showtime <laughs> Lakers. And, like, you're in Kansas City and – like I'm gonna spend the week. I was my buddy who was on the Broncos last night was also texting me about. It. I was like, we gotta spend because he also loves Mahomes. He was just taking the spot, but he was saying, uh, yeah, we gotta find a way to we gotta get him a better nickname than Showtime Mahomes. But uh, the Patriots have uh, him next week, so I mean, like I said, they're not gonna show anything. They're gonna want to get out alive because you know, um, Bill Be- Andy Reid always kind of has Bill's card, Bill's card, um, and always pushes Bill's buttons. So um, you know, especially with the X Factor Mahomes. Um, it's going to be interesting, you know. Uh, Bill's going to really want to be prepared for that game, and he's going to have the extra time if you could, you know, get out of India alive. And uh, yeah, so you're looking for Indy, and you're looking for the under here. 
All right, well, there you have it. Um, that wraps up the uh, preview or the post uh, recap part here for week four, Parks. Um, yeah, I had a losing week, you know, barely, but uh, I think week five, uh, you know, just like Big Ben, I think you're going to turn around here. What do you think? <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll bounce back. And, uh, yeah, if you actually you got to check out our Twitter and we actually have a little uh, – Nugget for you to, to before our, our little preview here coming in the next couple days. Yeah, it was a little play, right? Yeah. Check out our Twitter. What's our Twitter handle? Let me know. Um, at Odds on Invest. Yes, at Odds on Invest. So check so it yeah, out. So, yeah, we got one up there. And, uh, yeah, you'll hear my reason for it on uh, Thursday. Boom, 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 boom. Money's money's. All right. Well, Parks, any last words here? <laughs> no way. Uh, yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be back on Thursday and we'll bring the heat then. We'll bring it. We'll bring the heat for sure. All right. Until next time, guys. 